Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Game Changing Business Model Disruption, presented by SAP. The best run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game changing technologies and business strategies to help you shake up the status quo in your company's business capabilities and move your organization in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is indeed time to shake up that status quo. If you want to run with the game changes, we're running, we're here, and you're absolutely in the right place. We have a buzz quote. Let's see what's happening out there in the big wide world of business. I have a quote from Michael Hammer, who was quoted on HBR, that's HarvardBusinessReview.org, back in 2004. It's an interesting quote. If you're not familiar with him, Michael Martin Hammer 1948 to 2008, American engineer, management author, and professor of computer science at MIT, known as one of the founders of the Management Theory of Business Process Engineering, and he was named one of America's top 25 most influential individuals. And one of his books, the three most important business books of the past 20 years, wow. Here's the quote. Listen up. Operational innovation should not be confused with operational improvement or operational excellence. Operational innovation has been central to some of the greatest success stories in recent business history, including Walmart, Toyota, and Dell. Remember, this is back in 2004. So what are we talking about? Let's fast forward to today. It's midway through 2018. Is that a surprise? Check your calendar. And if you're clinging to, using, relying on the same old business structures, the same old models and processes, what we call the status quo, it's not going to work anymore. What should you do? Well, you need to boldly disrupt what you're doing and drive business innovation agility. That's what this series is all about. How can you do it? We're going to discuss a very interesting approach today. You need to create what's called a bimodal business model to manage your mode one. If you don't know what that is, I had to look it up. That's your predictable, improving and renovating actions and activities and processes in areas that you grasp, that you understand well, that are central to your business and your mode two. That's where you reach out and explore, look for new frontiers. You experiment to solve new problems that may not have happened yet. You want to do this all seamlessly. Sounds like a lot of work. Where to start? We have three experts on the panel. Of course we do. That's what we do here at Game Changers. We bring you the experts, the people who know what's going on and can help you run your business better. So let me tell you who they are before I have them speak, and let's see who we got today. Sean Broderson has been on several of our Game Changers shows over the past couple of years. He is the global CTO of the SAP Enterprise Digital Practice at HCL Technologies, welcoming him back in just a minute. Joining us is a newcomer, Thierry Bruniel. I'll spell his last name. You may not know how it is. It's B-R-U-Y-N-E-E-L. He's a partner at Delaware Consulting, and we'll find out what he does. And rounding out the panel is one of the sponsors of this series, our good friend Mark Gial, G-E-A-L-L, a senior VP of Platform Ecosystem at SAP. Welcome to our esteemed panelists, and thank you for joining me. Sean Brodison has sent us a quote from Buckminster Fuller, some people call him Bucky Fuller, Richard Buckminster Bucky Fuller, 1895 to 1983, American architect, systems theorist, 
That's an interesting title. Author, designer, and inventor. He developed numerous things. He was the second world president of Mensa from 1984 to 1983, and he's known for all kinds of interesting things, including the geodesic sphere concept and fullerenes, which are carbon molecules. I'm choking. I'm so impressed with him. Here's the quote Sean has selected from Bucky Fuller. You never change things by fighting the existing reality. To change something, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. Sean Broderson, how have you been? Very good, Bonnie. How about yourself? I'm well, thank you. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm always happy to see your name pop up on the guest list because I know you're always going to have a, an interesting quote and an interesting point of view. So what is this about fighting the existing reality? And I opened the show talking about status quo is not going to work anymore. Innovation, mode one, mode two. Why don't you put it all together for us? Yeah, thanks. Um, you know, what I really like about the quote is um, I think it speaks to um, that deep desire that we all have to change uh, to change things. And so how do you go about inspiring that change? And as you indicated at the top of the shout, we are at an inflection point in the industry. A number of different um, technologies are converging. The, um, the, the access and the, the, uh, uh, the, the actual technology development is, um, is, is accelerating at an exponential pace. And so not only do we have convergence, but we have new technologies that are emerging. And what the quote says to me is, um, is that you need to look through a completely new lens on how to apply those to business models, right? And it, it, this is a difference between, say, grinded out incremental innovation and some of that moonshot uh, innovation. And uh, I think today, more than ever, we have the tools and the opportunity um, to really change uh, the, the, the entire playing field for large enterprise and small enterprise alike. I'm, I'm glad you captioned that or bookended it, Sean, large and small alike. We do have a special series called Think Big, Work Small with Game Changers where we focus specifically on business practices for SMBs, small to mid-sized businesses and SMEs, enterprises, whatever you want to call them. So I'm, I'm glad you bookended that because we like to approach all of our shows with a, for a global audience, Sean, and we don't really know who they are. So I'm, I'm glad you did that. Uh, Sean, question for you. What would Bucky, Bucky Fuller say if he knew that you were quoting him on an Internet radio show? I don't know if this technology even existed or the practice of web radio. He passed away in 1983. Do you think he'd say, hey, Sean Broderson, you really rock. Thanks for the mention. Or I think he'd say, what? Radio on the Internet? What do you think he'd say? <laughs> Uh, I always, I always like the way that your mind works. Um, I, I think, I think that you would um, one reflect upon internet radio as certainly a, a new medium and game changer that uh, you know that was reflective of the statement uh, itself. And then, you know, the other, he'd probably question why, uh, why, why I was quoting him. Uh, I think the two of us are in different intellectual leagues. <laughs> Very interesting. And by the way, I was a card-carrying member of Mensa back in the day. I don't know if are you a lifetime member of Mensa? Do you know, Sean? Once you once you get in, are you in forever, or do you have to renew? Because I never renewed my card. Any idea? I, I'm not sure, but I, if I were you, I would claim it as lifetime status. 
Thank you. I'm going to. I went to one meeting in New York City, a Mensa meeting, and I uh, everybody had lunch boxes and pocket protectors in their white button-down shirts. And I said, this is not for me. So I went home and said, yeah, I'm a Mensa member, and we'll just leave it at that. Thank you, Sean. Always a pleasure to have you. We're going to have a lot more to learn from you today. And now let me introduce our newcomer, Thierry Brunel, partner at Delaware Consulting. Thierry has sent me a quote that is usually attributed to Darwin, but actually there are people who spend their lifetime Thierry, studying this, and, and it has been roundly decided that he never said these words, and they actually come from Professor Leon C. Meganson, who wrote a book or a, uh, a paper called Lessons from Europe for American Business for the Southwestern Social Science Quarterly back in 1963, and he quoted his interpretation of Darwin's origin of species, but it wasn't exactly what Darwin said. But the quote got attributed to Darwin anyway. So here's the quote for all you Darwin lovers. It is not the strongest of the species that survives, nor the most intelligent that survives. It is the one that is the most adaptable to change. Thierry Bruniel, welcome to Game Changers Radio. How are you today? I'm very fine. We have a sunny day here in Belgium because I'm based in Belgium. I'm very glad to hear that, and we're going to have more thunderstorms here in Durham, North Carolina, and this has been going on for a week, and I'm kind of tired of it, so I wish I was in Belgium today. So, Terry, welcome, and tell me, forget about who said the quote, whether it's Meganson or Darwin. Talk to me about how this works for our topic today about business innovation, operational innovation, and we're talking about Mode 1 and Mode 2. So how come you picked this quote for us today, please? Yes, thank you. Um, well, I find this quote quite interesting because um, in the companies we serve, we still see, in fact, that they're striving for industrialization and lowering the costs. And they're working from out of my background, which is uh, used to be finance, in fact. I'm, uh, I used to optimize uh, profit and loss statements, and I'm looking at opportunities in there. And that's what we uh, nowadays call the plantage. Eh? So looking for perfectness is, uh, well, it's what we have done forever, for ages. But now uh, it's not about being perfect and not only about operational excellence, it's about uh, being relevant. And I refer to a quote, in fact, which uh, the Nokia CEO uh, once said, and in fact, uh, because the company went down, and mm. said, well, in fact, we, we didn't do anything wrong, okay? So uh -huh. somehow we lost, and that's quite interesting to me. So... Um, I think um, about innovation, uh, innovation has to be pertinent, and I think it's a risk that companies remain hammering on the same nail, while in fact the stakeholders, the expectations, and, and the end consumers are requiring different service, eh, different level of experience. And uh, I think that's important uh, that companies should build in these processes so that they can adapt to the changing world. Most of the times it's not the case. Thank you very much. There's that word, adapting, and I appreciate that very much. Do you think companies are aware of this? Do you think you gave us a case study, Nokia? By the way, I, I worked for Nokia for several years and, and really had a good experience, not on the phone side, but on the software side, the IntelliSync suite. I was a marketer for that, and I did a lot of writing for them and uh, proofing of, of technical manuals and that kind of thing. It was a very interesting time many, many years ago. So do you think the companies are aware that they have to adapt? Thierry, do you think that it's a shock and amazement if they listen to a show like this and they hear you have to be innovative, you have to be adaptable, same old is not going to work anymore. Is this a wake-up call or do you think they're all lying awake at night, the CEO saying, yeah, we really can't keep doing the same thing? What's your thought? 
Well, I have mixed feelings about it. I visit a lot of ah. companies and uh, it, really, it really depends. And I am having chats with CEOs and also CIOs. And it, it really depends. Um, in in some, uh, some areas, some sectors, I see still very traditional reasoning. And uh, they, they're still in operational excellence. And, and times will go over and, and, and time will fly by and nothing will happen there. So I think these, uh, these companies are, uh, are ready to die, although they don't know mm. it. On the other hand, the, these ones who are more reaching out to and becoming B2B2C, well, they experience, in fact, that uh, the consumer behavior is changing quite drastically. And uh, especially when uh, agility has been put in place and where teams are working in a de-siloed way, because for me, that's the, that's the main reason because they're going to fail, because they still work in silos, eh, because uh, supply chains have to become more dynamic, more agile. Um, well, I don't find that too often uh, today. So I think uh, good alignment, good understanding, co-creation of the strategy, having it in a dynamic way and making sure that everybody is aligned and can adapt to it, that is the, 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 the crucial step number one. And very often, let's say more than 90% from the cases, I'm lacking that. I see some new mm-hmm. visions by trend watchers. I see some new visions defined at the board, but cascading it down throughout the whole organization is a big problem. Thank you very much for that that look from above at what's going on in the business world. And, and uh, yes, thank you so much, Terry. Pleasure to have you on. And we'll be talking to you a little more in a few minutes and find out what you more about your company and more about what you do. And now it's time to bring on one of our series sponsors, Mark Geall at SAP. And Mark has picked a wonderful quote from Bill Gates. I think they're all wonderful if you quote Bill Gates, Mark. And Bill Gates, if anybody doesn't know, William Bill Henry Gates the third, born in 1955. I call him a young man, is an American business magnate, investor, author, philanthropist, and co-founder of the Microsoft Corporation, along with Paul Allen. He and Allen launched Microsoft in 1975, which became the world's largest PC software company. He stepped down as CEO in 2000, but stayed on as chairman and created the position of chief software architect for himself. Talk about agility and changing, right, Mark? And here's the quote Mark has selected. Quote, success today requires the agility and drive to constantly rethink, reinvigorate, react, and reinvent. Mark, how are you? I'm very good, Bonnie. Thank you. How are you? I'm well. Thank you for asking. I'm well. I'm really enjoying this topic so far, and and your wonderful panelists you've invited to join you today. So let's talk about this, and let's look at the Bill Gates quote. I'd like you to focus on. Well, we've already talked about agility, but rethink, reinvigorate, react, and reinvent. Is that a formula for success, Mark? I don't know if it's the formula for success. I think the the, the point here is that there are many different reasons why companies may need to do this. They, they may need to react to their changing competitive pressures. So if they don't do something now, they're going to they're become obsolete. They may be trying to reimagine or, or rethink um, their business to take advantage of an opportunity so the threat isn't there and they want to be disruptive themselves. Um, or they maybe want to take a, a slightly less aggressive approach and just think about specific parts of their business or specific business processes where they want to just drive optimization and improvement that way. So many different paths. Um, the other thing I, I like about this quote is it's not just about agility, right? It's, it's about the fact mm-hmm. that you need to persist. You need to continue to drive this. It just doesn't happen overnight. Um, you need to change the organization. There needs to be cultural change, as Thierry 
alluded to, um, but also, you know, this is something that is continuous, right? Innovation and agility is, is not something that you do for the next three weeks or six months. It's something that now is is a, a critical factor of your of your business going forward. So this is a, a continuous improvement that needs to occur. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Uh, I just want to have you touch a little bit on the mode one and mode two, Mark, that I mentioned in my opening. Um, are businesses aware that there are two different modes, is the bimodal mode approach to innovation and agility? Is this something that everybody, I, I had asked uh, Terry a moment ago, if businesses are aware that they need to be agile and reinvent and reinvigorate and all those good things, but are they aware that there are two modes? Is this common knowledge or are we introducing a new topic here? Um, I think I think it's becoming um, accepted. Um, I think some some businesses think about it in slightly different perspectives. Some think about how do you bring IT and the business together as as a first stage, and then once they they do that, they realise that those aspects maybe move at slightly different paces. And this is where the the concept of of mode one and as you mentioned, the sort of concept of the stable core or your your, your standard processes that, yes, you need to optimize and, yes, you need to, to improve, you know, Alan Michael Hammer, um, but actually to, to stay current and to adapt, you then need to, to take this mode to approach and you can't necessarily do that um, with the same systems and the same capabilities that you've historically invested in. So, you know, the, the realization is there. The, the question is, okay, how do we achieve this and can we achieve this in a, in a consistent way so that, you know, we're still productive and effective in terms of the investment we've made in IT and in technology, um, but really sort of take advantage of, you know, next generation or new capabilities to really move the, the business forward. Thank you very much, Mark. Let's circle back around to Sean Broderson. Sean, you're a veteran of Game Changers Radio. You know what's coming next. Number one, where are you calling from today? And number two, what are you drinking? What's in your cup today? If it's interesting and powers you and excites you and makes you feel like, wow, you can conquer the world. And if that's not what you're drinking, and it's very possibly not, what's your favorite drink in the whole world? Sean Broderson. (laughs) I'm calling from (laughs) Columbia, South Carolina. And uh, oh. what's in my cup is uh, dirty chai. That's my uh, that's my uh, my caffeine kick uh, when I have the opportunity. It's a chai tea with uh, two shots of espresso. I'm looking at it here. Dirty chai, popular coffee shop drink, espresso drink made with a shot of espresso mixed into a chai tea or masala chai, usually made with a chai concentrate, steamed milk. A sh- single shot of espresso it's a midpoint between a regular latte and a chai tea latte do you like that expression do you like that definition no uh, yeah that, that that suits i guess i guess i would have to say it's a double dirty then since i get two shots instead of one but <laughs> you've nailed it otherwise. <laughs> that's a that's a very dirty shy okay thank <laughs> you very much and just give us a little update what's new with you at hcl technology sean what are you up to oh um it's it's an incredibly busy uh, busy year. So I think uh, a number of you know economic um, forces uh, here in the U.S. have have got large enterprises um, and small businesses humming again. Um, we see an, uh, certainly an uptick in in activity in the marketplace, um, and there's a, a pivot around the kind of services that uh, that people are looking for. So some of the Traditional services are moving into discussions around automation and robotics and what's the impact of, of that, um, which pushes uh, suppliers like ourselves 
um, to look at things like innovation as a service. And mm-hmm. so, you know, interesting for certainly for this um, conversation and talk about mode two disrupting mode one. There's sort of the grinded out innovation required in mode one to, to create that stable core and to um, to continue to improve, sort of that continuous improvement. Then you've got more of the mode, moonshot type stuff in mode two. Well, where do you incubate that? How do you provide that? So, you know, um, customers typically operate on pretty, um, pretty thin um, margins, and they don't always necessarily have the in-house talent or, or even a perspective of the broader market um, that can shake things up. And, uh, and like the quote said, you know, really look, out, look, look at this from, from an outside-in perspective. Um, and so, uh, so, so that's really what's keeping us busy. Next year is, the, uh, for me anyway, the biggest, uh, biggest ecosystem uh, event of the year. It's, uh, it's Sapphire now 2018, mm-hmm. so we're certainly gearing up for a big week there at uh, booth 632. Come come on by. There you yeah. go. There's a nice plug. Didn't I meet you at Sapphire last year when radio was there, I think? Yes, absolutely. Sure did. We did I three th- shows I- together last year. Yes, we did. Yes, radio's not going this year. I'll be covering home base here, but uh, glad you're going and hope you have a great show. Thank you very much. And now let's turn to our newcomer, Thierry Brunil, a partner at Delaware Consulting. Thierry, I know you're in Belgium. We'd love to know a little more precisely where. You already told us the sun is shining. I'm very jealous, of course. I'll tell you why in detail in a moment. And what are you drinking that makes you smile and be very, very happy? And what do you do there? Okay, thank you. So I said uh, I'm based in Belgium. Uh, I'm about uh, one and a half hours from London, one and a half hours from Paris, one and a half hours from Luxembourg, one and a half hours from Amsterdam. So pretty much in the <laughs> center of Europe, and I like it here. So uh, not only based on on the logistics, because also 50 miles from my home, we have uh, a marvelous sea as well, which is the North Sea. And so uh, interesting to know. Um, so um, we talk four different languages over here. So also interesting uh, to understand this, that uh, we should be agile and uh, we've ever been agile as uh, small Belgians, in fact, that we are. So um, if you ask me about what I drink, um, mm-hmm. I, I, should, I should tell you beer, but uh, that's uh, probably too obvious uh, being a Belgian. And I have too <laughs> many choices here as we have over 700 different specialty beers. So I, I'm not going to wow. bore you out with that. But, in fact, uh, uh, yeah, I like gin and tonic. And the reason why is because I was, uh, uh, when I was 18 years old at the university, I was confronted with the first, uh, well, let's call it uh, some booze, in fact, gin and tonic. And I really, really don't find it, didn't find it interesting. It was coffee. Uh I didn't like the taste of gin. I didn't like the taste of tonic. So, for me, it was rubbish. It was a (laughs) non-value-adding drink. So, I skipped it. Really, uh, and then uh, I went over to whiskey, eh? uh, whiskey and, and 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 coke, and then uh, when I graduated, I was really really interested and intrigued by the rise of uh, different forms of tonics. And I don't know if that is in the U.S. the same thing, but there's a whole mm. a whole hype here around uh, tonics. And uh, well, a bottle of tonic water could could go up to ten dollars or ten euros, in fact, over here. Wow! So it's even more precious than the gin itself. Okay, and we see, in fact, that there's a whole culture about gin and tonic, which uh, they like to mix, and every time again, I'm being surprised by mixtures, because a mixture in Switzerland, it's not the same as in Germany, not the same as in the UK, so I'm getting surprised by this thing, and that's what I like. So, also on innovation stuff, and that's why I've chosen uh, gin and tonic, because you're not always sure about the outcome, if you're going to like it or not, but you have to dare and do it. 
So that's uh, my opinion about gin and tonic. So now fascinating. I like it uh, very much. Yeah. Fascinating. I and looked it up, and you know the key ingredient in tonic water is the quinine, and quinine was used as what they call a prophylactic against malaria back in the day, and it does have a distinctive bitter flavor. It is often used in mixed drinks, particularly gin and tonic. And I'm looking it up on, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> I'm getting all excited here, Wikipedia, and I'm not seeing anything about different types. Um, they don't talk about, no. Did you know that uh, tonic water will fluoresce under ultraviolet light owing to the presence of quinine? Interesting. Yes. I, yes. I did. Well, uh, well you're certain, you're a, you're a quinine uh, person. So uh, d- tell me, Delaware Consulting, where where is it based and what's the core business? Yes. Uh, so uh, we're celebrating tonight our 15th anniversary. Okay, so we are based in uh, more than from out of Belgium, although the noun uh, name sounds like uh, American, eh? doesn't it? So it should not surprise you that we get uh, every month uh, sometimes the question, uh, okay, uh, you guys are from Delaware, yes, but it has something to do with uh, the situation in the U.S.? Well, it's not. Eh? So Delaware has been born in Belgium, and uh, in, in those 15 years we have grown up, up till uh, 2,000 uh, professionals active in 14 countries and 28 offices. Uh, our brand is uh, strongly related to ERP business because in, uh, in mm-hmm. Belgium, France, and the Netherlands, we are one of the strongest ERP partners uh, of SAP. And, uh, well, if you ask us what's keeping me busy, that's indeed, uh, well, uh, also getting a little bit, uh, I would not say rid of that brand, but try to mitigate a little bit that we only do ERP because in innovation, uh, and that's a challenge. We are trying to break up uh, our accounts, uh, trying mm-hmm. to bring in new innovative stuff. And, okay, that's also by model IT because our typical spokesman uh, or our counterpart is, has been traditional IT. So if now uh, our team, and I have a team of 160 people in innovation and, and customer obsession, as we call it, um, in fact, we, we, we use different methods, we have different culture, and we really, really embrace the fail fast uh, thing. So we don't mm-hmm. plan, we don't design large programs. No, we start small with a big view, with an, an, a passion for innovation and creating breakthroughs. But we start with experiments. And I'm having the fun of my life because, as you know, I'm coming from finance, which is, which is boring. I have been, uh, always been passionate about uh, creating insights for business people to make better decisions. Well, nowadays with the robotics and the new platforms and all these systems which we have to power with smart, intelligent things, well, I really like this uh, decade very much. So I'm having the time I'm, of my life. Good. I'm very glad. I noticed in the bio you sent me you had the word fun and speed and making changes quickly and fun was all in capital letters and I've never seen that in a bio and I appreciate it so I knew what to expect. Thank you very much, Jerry, and welcome. And Mark Giall, I did not forget you. Where are you today and what do you love to drink? Go ahead, Mark. I am in uh, a slightly overcast London today. I think we've got maybe slightly better weather than you have in the Carolinas. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, it's, uh, it's spring is here, and uh, we're getting ready for summer. Um, in terms of what I'm drinking, I mean, as you may remember, Bonnie, I, I had used the, uh, the gin and tonic one in one of the previous shows talking about Tarquin and Fever Tree. Fever Tree being one of mm-hmm. those new boutique 
uh, tonics that uh, Thierry was alluding to. But but this time I wanted to do something more around the sort of the mode one, mode two concept. So I've come up uh-huh. with a Jaeger bomb today. So today I am drinking a Jaeger bomb, and a Jaeger bomb is made up of two components. One is one of those seven hundred uh, craft beers that uh, Thierry was was talking about, which is the the stable core, and you can you know you can bring a lot of different beers to that party, right? Depending on your on your tastes, whether you like an IPA or whether you like a lager. And then you spice it up a little bit by putting a shot of Jägermeister in, which is mm-hmm. your, your mode too. It sort of provides you a little bit of agility later on in the evening. Um, so it gives you a little bit of a sore head in the morning. Um, but uh, it's a, an interesting <laughs> drink um, that uh, tends to spice things up a little bit. And then some people take it a little further and replace the, uh, the beer uh, with an energy drink like Red Bull. Um, and then it becomes more mode two, mode three, where I think mode three is chaos and anarchy. But uh, that's what I'm thinking today. <laughs> I looked it up, and the one I have is just Jägermeister, very chilled, a half hour chilled in the refrigerator or the freezer, put it in a shot glass, add one shot worth 1.5 ounces, and then add half a can of Red Bull and pour it into a highball glass which is an old-fashioned uh, glass that I think my parents used to drink their cocktails in. There are recipes all over YouTube. It's on Wikipedia. It's on wikihow.com. It's on drizzly.com, tipsybartender.com. And they're saying it's a uh, party-starting drink. So <laughs> thank you. Listen, it's only 10.30 here in the morning on the East Coast of the U.S., so I think I'm a little bit behind here because Mark and Sean, you know they don't let me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days. But the drinks are getting me a little bit jealous, the three of you. So I have my water here, and I have a question for you, Sean Broderson. You're in, you said you're in South Carolina. I'm in North Carolina. Are you experiencing days and days and days of thunderstorms and rain and spontaneous clouds, and all of a sudden there are boomers, a little bit of lightning? It's drenching rain, and then 20 minutes later, the sun is shining and it's blue skies, and the ground is already dry. Are you having the same weather pattern we are, Sean? Uh, absolutely and unfortunately, and it it, uh, it certainly put a damper on the holiday weekend that uh, that we just had here in in the U.S. So, uh, yep, yeah, yep. uh, Columbia is acting in the exact same way that you've just described. I'm in Durham. I have a quick, quick uh, Alexa story to tell you here. I asked Alexa this morning what the weather was, and she said the weather in Durham is expect thunderstorms, low 69, high 73. And I said, thank you, Alexa. And then I said are we getting rain today? And she said, no rain in the forecast. So I asked her, what's the definition of a thunderstorm? And she said, it's a weather pattern with an inversion, and there's blah, 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 and thunder and lightning and heavy rain. So I said, thank you, Alexa. And I asked her again, are we getting rain today in Durham? And she said, no rain in the forecast. And (laughs) I think I caught her in a glitch. I think I caught my AI rich Alexa in a little bit of a time warp there. So that's that's my, uh, my Alexa story for today. So she's talking to me now from the other room. Be quiet. I'm on the radio, Alexa. Thank you, dear. So we're talking about formula for innovation, agility plus business model change. We're speaking with three experts on the topic, world-renowned. I'm going to say that now that you're on Game Changers Radio. Sean Brodison at HCL Technologies, Thierry Brunel at Delaware Consulting, and Mark Giall at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We are going to take a break just because I think my guests need a little bit of a pause that refreshes. And when we come back, we're not going to have any Jaeger bombs on the break, but we're come back. Sean Brodison is going to kick off the roundtable, and we're going to find a very interesting topic here in his notes he sent me before the show. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill. We'll be right back. Aaron out. 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future success of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerating ongoing change. Factors as diverse as business disruption catalysts, new platform business models, agile innovation, a thriving ecosystem, and an API economy are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of business. Game-changing business model disruption is presented by SAP. Visit SAP.com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Game-Changing Business Model Disruption, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Game-Changing Business Model Disruption. Yes, indeed. That's the topic of the day. Formula for innovation, agility plus business model change. It's a vast topic, and we have three experts on the panel today, Sean Broderson, Thierry Bruniel, and Mark Diol. I'm still Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to be for the next half hour after that. All bets are off. Sean Broderson at HTL Technologies told me the following before the show, and he's going to run with this and take us into this world of innovation and getting rid of the status quo. He says, artificial intelligence changes everything from WEC, World Economic Forum, to the local blogger, artificial intelligence is a topic on everyone's mind. Sean, why don't you take us into how this affects Mode 1 and Mode 2, and then we will invite Thierry and Mark to comment on whatever you tell us. Go ahead, Sean. Thanks. So artificial intelligence really does change everything, and actually it's a, it's, it's really amazing um, right now the capabilities that are coming to bear and how quickly we're seeing the, the adoption and the use cases uh, of that. You know, you have, you talked about uh, Alexa this morning and artificial intelligence being built in there. Um, mm-hmm. The email app on your phone has artificial intelligence uh, built into it. And, um, you know, um, there's engines um, for natural language processing that uh, use artificial intelligence, machine learning um, tools in the background provided and facilitated on cloud that are open to the citizen developer. They're form-based. I mean, this is not something you need a data scientist to to go do, right? So the technology is becoming accessible, and with accessibility comes more change, more acceptance. Um, Artificial intelligence um, and and the whole classification uh, of that uh, really create some interesting dialogues and conversations, right? So um, automation will uh, impact white-collar jobs for the first time in any of the uh, industrial, uh, you know, 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, 4.0 revolution. Um, And so what is the impact of that? Uh, Are we really going to see the ability for people to focus on um, strategic, you know, higher importance, higher value activities? Um, or does it become another tool for efficiency and cost takeout? Is there some combination of both? I think that there's um, related topics around ethics and governance. So um, certainly you'd be familiar with garbage in, garbage out, right? Mm-hmm. Old concept sure. in, in computer programming. 
That's right. Well, Gigo, Geico. AI is driven by data. What happens when the data is wrong? Then the decision-making process that the machine goes through can be exponentially wrong. What governance, what guardrails, um, what can you put in place to ensure that that data um, gives you the right baseline and the right fundamentals for making those, uh, those decisions? Um, and I think one of the uh, one of the industries where you're going to see the most amount of early impact um, is in the service industries. So if you if you watch the the recent um, Google Duplex demo that spread like wildfire all over the internet, and uh, and Microsoft has a similar tool that's available in in China right now. You know, you're, you're talking about a a bot that was in the demo anyway, so convincingly human. Right, that you can imagine very easily how that replaces service desks all over the world. How mm-hmm. a bot like that that you know can can use uh, API endpoints to connect to cloud-based services or enterprise services to conduct and execute business transactions. So, so you start talking about cognitive orchestrated process autonomics, and how do you, you know, how do you? Uh, execute business processes, even assemble business processes. So you get into a concept of composable business processes and how how um, agility, which we talked about uh, earlier, um, becomes possible for enterprises as they change their business models. And then I think it, if you want to implement and, and leverage and, and address artificial intelligence as a as a as a class of technologies. You want to look through a different lens. So I'm bringing it mm-hmm. back to the quote that, that I had started off with, right? You want to change your perspective completely. And so I believe that you should look at this from a human experience perspective. That becomes a, a necessary differentiator for enterprises, right? The speed of technology today also allows for a rapid copycat model in, in enterprises. And so you, you have to differentiate with experience. And that's not just customer and consumer experience. It's suppliers, partners, employees, and your employee engagement model, um, and even regulators, right? And all of those things need to come together when you look across the layers about how any one of those um, users in the value chain uh, experience your brand and your enterprise um, from everything from daily business processes to, um, you know, to, uh, uh, to, to interactions in the ecosystem and new technologies like uh, blockchain, et cetera, will continue to drive different kinds of experience and, and, and automation. Um, and, and what facilitates this is the, the rapid um, rise of technology and that technology being available for a, in a consumption model on cloud for both commodity and innovation capabilities. And tools like platform as a service and um, uh, drive the ability to consume innovation at pace, create differentiation. And, uh, and I'll close with an example about how human experience and looking across from an from experience perspective at artificial intelligence, um, consuming cloud, activi- uh, cloud um, uh, capabilities can completely change something. Let, let's just look at, at supply chain, for example. Right? You can look at some uh, new styled warehouses by Amazon or in the UK, uh, Ocado, as an example, that have changed the paradigm and the human experience for the picker. Right? So the most mm-hmm. amount of time spent in a warehouse is actually sending the picker to the, to the bin or the location in the warehouse to go and get the, uh, the item that's on the pick list 
and then bringing it back to the shipping point where it's going to be packaged, documents um, you know, printed and, and associated, etc., and, and then sent out. In these examples of Amazon Akato, the paradigm has been completely changed. You know, at Amazon, the shelf comes to the picker. The entire rack moves on a bot to the picker. Picker picks, uses a digital um, kiosk to confirm what has been picked, and you could imagine where blockchain could provide, as an example, electronic documentation to facilitate that even more. So uh, your shipping documentation and your global trade requirements are met on an open blockchain for regulators, and so that's um, automatic and, and immediate. Um, and at Akato, it's a 100% automated grocery um, picking warehouse. So, you know, w- what's different for the human experience there? Well, the job fundamentally has changed, right? I mean, pickers have, you know, have changed. The, the, the bot did the entire picking, and they take the bin, and it needs to go to shipping. And so now the jobs in the warehouse have changed as well, right? Higher end um, education probably focused more on maintenance and care and uh, uh, learning, and you, you end up with a, a hybrid um, man-machine team, in the warehouse with a completely different set of, uh, of requirements. So, and that's just one example we could talk about. We could talk about many across the service-centric service uh, enterprise and, and what Uberization and, and the Amazon effect is doing for supply chain and, uh, and, and innovation in general. But um, I, I, think, I think there's some, some meeting things to, uh, to talk about. Thank you very much, Sean. What a great overview of so many aspects of this. I'm going to bring Thierry Brunel in right now. Thierry, thoughts on any or everything that Sean introduced, and then we want to make sure we get Mark's point of view on this as well. Go ahead, Thierry. Yes, uh, I acknowledge the fact uh, of the point on the quality of data, but uh, I'm wondering how AI could uh, optimize the data quality itself. eh? So that's one of the things, and also... I believe that uh, blockchain and uh, the rise of the marketplaces will ensure that you can buy qualitative data. It will be a market on itself, and that will uh, indeed uh, facilitate the uh, effectiveness of uh, of AI algorithms. On the example you're giving uh, on the uh, shelf meeting the the operator, uh, that's really uh, the way it should work, in fact, because we see that uh, companies still have difficulties in thinking about uh, well, how, how certain new techniques can contribute to, uh, to the performance. And therefore, you need something what we call outside-in thinking. And it can be from a customer, it can be from uh, one of your employees, what they really want and uh, what they really want from a system uh, to assist them in. And uh, I really like the word assisted, eh? assisted operator or assisted mm-hmm. commerce or something like that, because AI and these new techniques, they will not probably will not totally replace, in fact, the human activity, but they should facilitate and make sure that uh, decisions are being made in a, in a more comfortable zone the moment they need them. Okay, And um, that's what I like a bit about the AI part, eh? speech, it's bringing speech fun and convenience, like I said in my opening statement. So I definitely agree that uh, AI is, is a game changer. Um, I'm also wonder, wondering uh, about the uh, legal uh, aspects and the legislation which will be uh, defined around AI if that is not going to limit. Eh? Of course, in Europe here we are confronted with uh, GDPR, which has uh, mm-hmm. well uh, definitely some impact on, uh, on, on, on business uh, options you have. Uh, it's, it's creating a, a lot of uh, hurdles uh, here and there. I also think that legislation, uh, the moment that the first AI causes or cases will come in, uh, that uh, legislation will also jump on that and make sure that uh, it's going in the right direction. And it probably should. 
Thank you very much, Cherry. Great point of view there, and, and thank you for focusing on AI. That's what I was looking for. Mark Giall, thoughts, please. I mean, uh, I think a lot of interesting points were raised. I mean, from, from my perspective, there's this issue of trust, right? I think that, you know, we, we, we see AI and, and where it gets applied to productivity improvements, that, that's great. Um, but we think about AI in the context of your, your weather prediction from Alexa, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the worst that could have happened there was you, you left without your umbrella and you got a little bit wet. But what happens <laughs> when, you know, autonomous cars start to crash, right? So I think there's an, an element of trust and governance that, that really needs to, to adapt quickly to, to make sure that, that we're delivering the value to, to the individuals to deliver that human experience that, that Sean talked about. Um, you know, what, what for me is interesting is, is how this gets applied to the other challenge that we have, which is just the vast amounts of information and data that, that companies are now collecting and, and using this to drive insight rather than productivity. And I think this is, this is where we're seeing, you know, a lot of this edge innovation or this agility really being focused as well in terms of, you know, not only improving, um, you know, the traditional business processes, um, but also, you know, what, what are the insights and, and the, the new gains that, that we can get out of it? So a very broad topic, a very interesting topic, some, some challenges to be managed, but, uh, you know, clearly a, a focus for, for many of our customers and I think many of the listeners. Thank you very much, Mark. Uh, in the interest of time, Sean, I'm going to not have you wrap that one up because we covered so many areas in what you shared with us. I'm going to move over to some topics that Thierry Bruniel at Delaware Consulting has sent us. Thierry, let's talk about IT. IT needs to accommodate bimodal requirements for business and IT alignment. Uh, without getting into specific solutions, can you give us an idea of where IT needs to get involved and how are they going to accommodate it? Is it in their DNA to say, sure, or are they going to say, Mm-mm, not my job? What do you think? <laughs> it's a very interesting, uh, interesting debate, but uh, I would like to refer to a book as well, uh, which is called The Day After Tomorrow. It's written by Peter Hinden, which is a trend watcher. Um, is an uh, IT evangelist, uh, a disruptor, and he talks about the plantage and the uh, rainforest. Eh? Mm-hmm. And in the plantage, in fact, uh, people strive. The whole set of assets, people, investments you make, is is is, be, is striving for perfectness. Eh? So you don't tolerate, in fact, imperfectness because that's uh, that's not done. That's uh, that's waste. While on the rainforest, you uh, should tolerate coexistence and probably learn from the first failures. And by working on the failures, you probably get finally to disruption. And the question is, uh, so if IT will embrace everything and try to control everything that's happened by still thinking about the industrialization aspect of certain things, the innovation will go nowhere. And business will probably try to... uh, to do things outside uh, the organization uh, because they want to avoid the robustness of uh, the whole architecture that they're in. So IT should be by model in this phase that in fact, yes, the moment that uh, certain cases or certain experiments or minimum viable products have been proven that they are valuable and that they want to uh, scale them, then in fact IT comes into place and to industrialize and make sure that it's, uh, it's, it's, it's being done, that the security is there, that the GDPR rules and everything is being respected. So some professionalism one day needs to be done there as well. On the other hand, on the experimentation mode, they have to make sure that they agile, that they can 
um, enable uh, transformation or innovation or tryouts in a very mm-hmm. cheap manner. So uh, that this way they can help accelerate innovation. And uh, yeah, they should not always ask for the business case, but let things go. Let things let people try, providing them the infrastructure, cloud-based probably uh, most of the times, and uh, usage-based in order to build that MVP. And within two, three months, we should say, yes, it's a failure or it's a big success. But please, dare and do. That should be the mentality of IT to enable dare and do. Very interesting. I'm wondering if it's in their DNA, which I just mentioned before. Failing fast, experimentation, dare and do. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. That's, that's something that's an interesting, very human question. Mark Giel, can you weigh in on this? What's IT's mindset? Can they dare and do? Can they fail fast, smile, have fun, go fast and experiment? Are they going to be able to handle it? Oh, good questions. I think I think what it raises is is the interesting discussion around the cost, right? We we talk about agility, but the cost comes in two ways. And I think organizational and organizational and cultural cost is 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 significant, right? Many of our businesses, um, you know, have been set up as hierarchical businesses, and you know, hierarchies don't really support agility and don't really support innovation. So, what needs to happen is is the business needs to understand, you know, where, where does it need to bring expertise together, business expertise together with, with those that, that can drive these capabilities. So, you know, we, we have these concepts of these smaller agile teams, you know, what some people call two pizza teams, because you can, uh, mm. you can feed the team uh, with, with two, two pizzas. So, you know, six <laughs> to 10 people, let's say within the team that, that span that organizational silo, right? They bring the IT skills, the development skills, but they, they align those with the business capabilities. So that true business value occurs. Um, but that, you know, cuts across the normal, um, you know, business hierarchy. So, you know, I, th- I think that's one of the, the, the biggest challenges that we have, which is, you know, businesses are slow to adapt organizationally, right? The reason why the companies that often have benefited from this most are the startups that, that can set them out, set themselves up from the start in a, in a sort of more sort of agile way where they're bringing together or they haven't sort of quite formed those organizational hierarchies. They're letting the business evolve a little bit more free flow so they can span across the, the, the different functions within the business to get that end-to-end view and, and actually deliver agility. So, yeah, I think it's, a, it's going to be one of the big constraints and one of the big challenges that larger organizations need to, to manage effectively. Thank you, Mark. And you know what? We're just about at the point. We're actually already into the time frame for our crystal ball predictions round. So I'm just going to have Mark comment on one more statement in your notes. And then, Sean, I'm going to circle back to you for your prediction so we get 60 seconds for each of you around the table. Mark told me before the show the vendor-customer relationship will also need to change to support Mode 2 capabilities. Customers and ecosystem partners are more likely to build and want to own IP. Can you just give me a quick 30-second comment on this, please, Mark? Yeah, I mean, I think agility or innovation comes from multiple sources, um, and because it's coming from multiple sources, it's, it's just not going to sit with one particular vendor. So, you know, one of the, the challenges that Thierry and and Sean face every day, right, is, is is who owns who owns the IP that's being built? Is it the customer? Um, is it them as the services provider that, that is giving the insight? So, you know, I, I think the model will need to change both from a software perspective where we have to accept that IP is coming from different stakeholders from a customer perspective if they want to really benefit from agility and from a service provider perspective. 
um, if we really want to, to scale this effectively. Thank you very much. John Broderson, around the table to you, 60 seconds. That's really all I have very tight. Give me your prediction on the formula for innovation, agility plus business model change. Sean, go ahead, 60 seconds. Well, software um, is said to be eating the world. According to Mark, that happens two pizzas at a time. Um, I think <laughs> my, my prediction is that um, IT, uh, in a way, becomes the business. Right, and there's new tools and new approaches that are going to drive that agility. So the fundamental relationship between the business and IT, in particular around software development, um, changes drastically, and we need to go uh, and incorporate more design thinking techniques on top of and, and, and partnered with system thinking techniques, where uh, you know business owners and developers come together in agile teams, as, as Mark indicated supported by a lean a DevOps um, function and a DevOps tool chain so that you can drive a new way of doing business. And ultimately, it's people that will change the culture of an enterprise. And these are just frameworks and techniques that allow that um, to happen. Um, innovation as a service, premium service models, those, those are the, the future areas of focus for, uh, for, for businesses. Thank you very much, Sean Brodison. Thierry Brunil at Delaware Consulting. I have 60 seconds with your name on them. Go ahead. Yes, thank you. So uh, I have been uh, talking about fun, speed, and convenience, uh, but I do find that uh, the main weakness of organizations is uh, to think in behalf of their customers. So that what I called earlier the outside-in thinking it's a, it's a big challenge. We always come into uh, being very fond of uh, what they do and their own product thinking instead of uh, putting the customer first. And uh, once you have done that, I think uh, it's, it's becoming very important that you cascade it down to the organization and that business and IT alignment should be around more than ever. So we do see silos. We do see uh, hostility between uh, the business and IT and vice versa. There's no trust. Well, I think it's a big challenge to, uh, to think in, uh, in tribes and uh, put people from IT and business and different uh, silos around the table for a mission, maybe together with the customer and, uh, well, in another ecosystem. So uh, I think uh, a lot of dynamism will take place and some IT resources in there are very crucial. Thank you very much, Jerry. Mark Gial, I Gial, I saved 60 seconds for you as well. Go ahead. I'd maybe like to touch on the, the financial aspect of this. I mean, I, you know, we, we, we talk about the benefits for, for employees, but I think, you know, one of the, the opportunities here is that we maybe move away from this sort of very cyclical economic sort of uh, factors, you know, boom-bust type of scenarios. We've seen this over the last 10 years, and I think that this will, will only improve because, you know, agility will enable more sustainable growth, and it will enable to, to offset some of these cyclical factors. So, you know, I think at the end of the day, everyone has an opportunity to win um, and uh, hopefully will we'll benefit not only the businesses that, that take on these capabilities, but the, the broader economy as well. Thank you very much. Good approach for our closing prediction. I want to thank Sean Broderson, Thierry Bruniel. Thierry, hope you enjoyed yourself with us. You are a newcomer today. You did great. And Mark Giall at SAP. And let's see what we This is the end of our broadcast week. I want to wish everybody who's attending Sapphire now, SAP's big annual conference in Orlando next week, a wonderful experience. We certainly enjoyed being there last year. We'll be watching and waiting to hear what's going on, keeping the home fires burning as you will. So let me give you my call to ask. 
action. Here we go. As soon as I can find it. You'd think I'd know it by heart by now. Shout out to Aaron and the Business Channel team. Aaron is our engineer extraordinaire. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Sean Broderson, just like Terry Bruniel, and just like Mark Eel. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Game Changing Business Model Disruption. The best run business is run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham on Thursdays on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game changing week.